Hi, it's Matt, and welcome to the second series of the Cult Creator Experience, a podcast designed to share with you great digital leaders, podcasting, and content creation. I'm on a mission to help you find success through content creation. In this second series, I wanted to try something a little bit different. Series one was all about my process and sharing with you what I consider when I'm making a podcast. And that got me thinking, I wonder what people consider success in content creation. So in the second series, I'm going to go out there and find other creators. I've got 10 different stories to share with you and 10 different definitions of what success looks like from their content creation. But before we get into the show, can I just ask quickly that you hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcasting app of choice so that you can keep up with all of these incredible tales of success through content and podcasting. So without further ado, let's get into the podcast. In this episode of The Creator Experience, we are joined by podcaster and coach Rob Lawrence. Rob found success in his early IT career, but got to a point where he thought, but now what? And what he determined was he actually wants to help others redefine their lives. So Rob did the life-changing experience of becoming a coach. And whilst he was training as a coach, he fell in love with podcasts, listening to everyone else's experiences. And this led Rob to thinking, how do creatives make a living doing what they love? And so in 2014, Rob's podcast, Inspirational Creatives, was born to do just that. How do creatives find success doing what they love? In this episode, we discuss how the unreachable became accessible through Rob's podcast. We talk about the power of meaningful engagement with your audience. And we share how to utilize shared knowledge to level up your skill set. And finally, how curating your content is key for helping people directly. This is an awesome episode. I love working with Rob. I hope you enjoyed the show. Rob Lawrence, thank you very much for joining me today. Pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for the invitation, Matt. I'm going to start the podcast today with a little introduction to yourself, if you would. And I'd like to know that brief journey to the point that you decided, I now need to produce a podcast. Okay. Asking a podcaster a question is always a dangerous thing to do, I find, because I (laughs) I could give you the long version of the story, which would be a long version, which would probably interest me, but not necessarily all of your listeners. So I'll try and cut to some of the chase if I can, Yeah. um, without being too chronological about it either. So grew up with audio. So earliest recollections, right right now, wearing my dad's headphones, and it still feels like one of the most comfiest places on the planet for me, just being in a pair of headphones. In fact, I often catch myself coming to my desk, putting my headphones on, doing work for about an hour, realizing why am I wearing headphones? Because I, I haven't done any audio for the last hour. I've just been kind of doing emails and stuff. But it's, I don't know, there's something special about, you know, audio and being in headphones for me. So there's a deep relationship and connection to the world of audio for me from a young age. But I was also into other stuff as well. You know, I was into computers. And I think at some point when I was a kid, I wanted to be a graphic designer. I I probably didn't even know what that was, but it just sounded cool. And then coming out of school, actually, it was my dad that pointed out to me. He said, you're pretty good with computers, but you haven't got any computing qualifications. So when I went off to sixth form, I made sure that I I got a couple of city city and guilds and RSA kind of qualifications under my belt in IT. Anyway, long story short, 15-year career in IT, which I loved, you know, great, great fun playing with technology, really enjoyed the banter and the people I worked with. And went up the ranks pretty rapidly, actually, from sort of manager to junior director. By this time, I tried to jack in my IT career by traveling, (laughs) ended up in Australia, only to find myself behind Microsoft Office six months later at a desk again going, this is weird. This is like, I'm back at my desk, but now on the other side of the planet. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But it was great because the lifestyle was amazing, the pay was good, and the cost of living was less than it is in the UK at the time. And so I was living like what I felt like was living like a king and, and, and living the dream. Or th- so you would think. Right. I had lovely beachside apartment overlooking the Indian Ocean. I remember one Saturday morning just sit, sitting there sipping my coffee, you know, barbecue on the balcony, watching the surfers, yeah. thinking, now what? Right. 
you know, it was kind of like, right, so I've ticked the boxes that you grow up in life being expected to tick. Now what? I just, I, I, I had, I, it was almost, it was, it, I can't quite describe it, but I had this moment of sort of inverse paranoia where I just could see the rest of my life ahead of me. And that kind of scared scared the hell out of me. I just thought, this is it. That's that, that is, Multiply this by 25 years and a nice pension and I'm done. And I just thought, there's so much more I want to do with my life and explore. Right. And do I want to carry on working for somebody? And I think by that point too, Matt, I'd got a taste of freedom because I'd sort of taken some time out from my career in the UK, yeah. travelled a bit and got a taste of freedom. And by this point, you know, obviously technology and social media had kind of grown and I was starting to see people doing their own thing and that was that looked attractive to me um this sort of what we would now probably somewhat start to take for granted as kind of flexible working or virtual work right and um yeah but there was an there was an aspect of my um work that i really enjoyed in fact there was two two sides to that there was an aspect to my work i really didn't enjoy because i'd got to the level where i was then being left with the decision to hire and fire people and when the organisation was trying to change shape and size, it was my job to let go of people that I cared about. And mm. I found that very hard. And I didn't like that. So I thought, I want to be the person on the other side of the fence, helping them redefine their lives and find a new career. Okay. If yeah. that's the situation they're faced with. And one of the things I loved about being a manager was helping people to achieve their sort of own goals and aspirations. Yeah. Even though those might have not been words I used at the time. <laughs> you know, I remember going on courses, which I now look back at and go, oh, now I know that's coaching or now I know that's mentoring or leadership. Right. Uh, but I perhaps, again, may have may not been familiar with those terms some 20 years ago. But I did love that aspect of it. And I remember going on leadership courses and coaching courses and just really enjoying the experience and going, this is super powerful stuff. And and I wanted to tell everybody what I'd learned and I loved that. And I think it was at that time, so I took some more time out from my career out there. Mm -hmm. And I, at some point, decided to self-fund a coaching certificate because I thought, I just want to do this full-time. I don't want to have to kind of do it around the edges and have a full working day. Right. I, I, I really want to get going on this. I don't want to hang about. So I did what was a two-year part-time course in about sort of five, six months, falling asleep in the hammock, reading these <laughs> long books and stuff like that. Um but it was life-changing without that being too sort of like cliched, I hope. But mm. it was a life-changing experience. And I think the thing that coaching taught me that in order to be a good coach, you have to do a tremendous amount of introspection and you have to be walking the talk. So it's all well and good helping people to achieve their own goals, but you've got to be looking at your own life and going, right, what do I want to achieve and how am I going to start doing that? And um, holding yourself accountable. And obviously I was being coached at the time. Yeah, It was one of those things where... That kind of reconnected me with audio. So going back to the beginning here, I realized that actually the more happier times in my life was when I was listening to what I now know as a podcast and I love listening to music. Right. And I realized there wasn't much of that going on in my life at the time. And that was a lifesaver for me because mm. when I was feeling a bit lost and directionless in my own life, going, okay, if it's not about that career, what is it about? Yeah, I was finding solace in listening to other people talk about their lives and what you could make of your own. And there was something really special and intimate about that experience for me that I felt compelled to do something about that. So I did an audio production degree for fun. So it wasn't a business move. It was like, you know what? I would have loved to have done something like that when I left school. Yeah. It wasn't available to me. Now I've got the money and the time to be able to do it as a as a mature, let's think, adult. Yeah. Uh, where I'd probably take the learning experience a little bit more seriously anyway. And I went and did that. And that's where everything kicked off for me in terms of what I do now. Yeah. It wasn't a, like I say, it wasn't a strategic business move. But once I got into that space and Venn diagram style, when that kind of overlapped with my business experience and contacts, all of yeah. a sudden I was coaching and producing podcasts about self-development for other people. Nice. Fantastic how it came full circle. Started with the audio, went on the corporate mission, found the coaching, went back to the audio, and then they came together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because the thing is, I must admit... 
it's Steve Jobs style. You look back at it and the dots connect now. Mm. But at the time, I was like, where am I going with this? You know, it was very non-linear. And even people were kind of like, which direction are you going in? I can't see where you're taking this. But now I look back at it, it all lines up. You know, it lines up and it makes sense. So it seems to make a lot more sense to people now. And I think that whilst having spent a lot of time and effort trying to find a niche, I think the niche kind of found me in the end. Yeah. And that was because I just stayed true to what was true for me and also to the people I cared about and what they needed. And then all of a sudden, I realized it was a pattern thing where I realized, actually, I've done this for three or four people now. They're all coaches and they're all wanting their audio produced or they're all wanting guidance around that, how they set themselves up as coaches to be able to do that. Awesome. So Inspirational Creatives now is hitting 300 episodes. Yeah, he's hit 300, yeah. And I guess you've kind of answered the question of why podcast? Audio Mm. is fundamental to you. But in terms of who you were trying to reach, why podcast and who were you trying to reach? Why Mm. not blogging or video or just the old adage with coaching of kind of using those networking events to meet people? Mm. Yeah. It's a thoughtful question, Matt. I I think that I would add to the story I've just given by saying that Inspirational Creatives, the podcast, wasn't a strategic move. Right. It was, I was already, like people were coming to me saying, I hear you're in audio now. And I was like, well, not really, but I've just done a degree and I was having a lot of fun with that. They said, well, can you help us just do, you know, we'd need to put something together you know, can you help? I'd be like, I'd love to, because I just, you know, it was quite fun about trying out my own new skill set and, mm. and, and seeing what I could do with it. Um, anyway, that was kind of happening in parallel to me having lots of nice, interesting conversations, coaching conversations with what people I would regard as, you know, successful or, you know, ex- certainly experts mm-hmm. in their own field. And I remember having sort of a number of different conversations with people and, I could never remember what these experts were, you know, they they had all these guiding principles and these models, which I thought were awesome, but I could never really kind of regurgitate them in a in a meaningful manner. Right. And I remember one or two sort of conversations I was having with people that went along the lines of, well, Rob, you're an audio guy. Why don't you just record these people speaking and put that out? Yeah. I thought that was a good idea, but what I didn't feel convinced about is seeing myself as a host of my own show. So... Why is that? Well bit of imposter syndrome probably okay um i didn't see myself as a well i think there's a mindset thing going on here i didn't see myself as a personality or as a celebrity or and there was a bit of who am i to like put out a podcast plus if i'm frankly honest with you matt i think there was a commitment phobia thing as well it's like if i do this and it works out then i'm gonna have to go in that direction and that's not part of my plan right um but um i've learned since that actually Part of life is discovering who we are. And I think without getting too, sort of too deep into this, I think one of the things we have to do is keep challenging who we believe we are. Mm. You know, because I think often our biggest obstacles to success is having this fixed idea of who we should be. Yes. Versus actually going, well, if I forget about who I think I am and then look at the opportunities in front of me, it can sometimes be quite a different picture to who we think we are, if you see what I mean, or who I think I should be. Yeah. I I think we can get sometimes a little bit too concrete or a bit too set in our ways about what label we give ourselves or who we believe we should be, when actually if we just let go of that stuff and just go, what do I enjoy doing? Yeah. Who needs my help? And then focusing on that, the rest kind of figures itself out. So, yeah, it was great. Great point, Matt. So I think I stalled on that for a little, not too long, thankfully. Right. What helped you decide, okay, I know that people would want to listen to this. I'm going to make it. I know there's a commitment. I know that I've, you know, you've got these preconceptions of what a podcast host or a content creator is. How did you get over that hurdle? Yeah. So it was a case of partly self-belief, I think, in the sense that, I thought, well, I'll experiment with this. And I reached out to a handful of people I regarded as experts. Mm. And that was off the back of an event I went to, which was a a kind of a self-development type event I went to over in Germany, in Berlin. And it was a weekend. It was really inspiring. Met some amazing people there. Great, Some great keynote speakers. Mm. And I came off that event reprioritizing the projects that I had and my podcast had kind of found its way quite near the top by that point. 
because I think I had had enough conversations with enough people at a point to convince myself, actually, this might be worth giving it a shot because I felt it was important, actually. It was also, here's the mindset change, Matt. It was almost a case of, actually, I'm getting in my own way, but I'm also doing a disservice to people that might find this content really useful and interesting. Mm. And I'm getting in their way just by having these silly ideas about not bothering or not learning to become a host and taking that responsibility. So I think there was some some sort of meaningful, useful conversations that went on then, which kind of broke the ice a little bit for me. So I decided to take the next step, which was basically reach out to a handful of people that I felt were experts in their own niches and people that I believed, I, I believed was, they, they were successful in my own eyes. Mm. So I admired what they did and how they'd done it. So do you think you were your own audience avatar? Oh, absolutely. At you the created time. the show yeah. for yourself. So, yeah, it was a actually for my wife more more so because okay. she was she was a freelance photographer, mm-hmm. came from a, a a background in IT similar to me, um, which is completely unheard. Which curiously now look, <laughs> looking back on it, she's a total artist. Yeah, and she thinks very creatively, and it's hard to believe that she did that except she's very good at solving puzzles, so I can sort of see how the logic lines up. But I wanted to help her. And so we were both trying to figure it out. This is pre-having kids. But we Mm. were both trying to figure it out. How do you create a living doing what you love? That was the question. And that's always been the the, the subtext for inspirational creatives. Yeah. And I was trying to answer that question. And I realised, again, at the conference and also in my sort of wider circles in life, that there's lots of people that are trying to figure this stuff out. Yeah. And I thought, well, why keep the conversations to myself? And somebody sort of said, as I said, you know, why don't you record those conversations, put them out there? And and the tables turned quite quickly for me then, Matt, in two ways. The first was that I realised that if I got out my own way, actually, this isn't about me. Mm-hmm. This is about getting the right information to the right people. I'm just a conduit. So ego aside, forget about me. All of a sudden, I'm a facilitator, but I'm also an obstacle. So I'd need to kind of get out of that and just get into facilitator mode. What do I need to do? What part of this equation am I, do I need to make happen for it to happen? So I then saw it that way and I thought, I'll get over the hosting thing. And I got over it really quickly then. I just thought, forget that. Forget being a host. Just make a podcast. Just, Just record, just ask some questions. That's what I do as a coach. Ask some questions, record some answers, post it. And that was the first thing. The second thing was I thought, right, if any, or, or I can't remember, I might have set myself a minimum. I think I reached out sort of between five and 10 experts. And I said to myself, if, if I get two or three responses, I'll do it. If they believe in the idea as much, if not more than I do, yeah. then it's going to be worth doing. It's kind of validated it. But they all responded. That was the thing that surprised me. They all came really? back. Yeah, they all came back and said, absolutely, Rob, I would love to do not I'll be glad to I would love to do it right and they jumped at it and I thought whoa I've never had a response in anything I think I've ever done like that um all all of a sudden people I felt were potentially unreachable were accessible and it just suddenly opened I I, you know some of the lights went on for me at that point Matt because this was all still hobby like Mm. and still is hobby like but um the lights went on for me I just suddenly thought gosh this could this vehicle, this podcast could potentially open doors for me that nothing else I have could do. Yeah. And it absolutely proved, you know, that proved itself over time, definitely. Once you got that surprising feedback and you realised that it could open those doors to you, did you start to give yourself any sort of determinants of success or what success might look like for you as a podcaster? Yeah, I think my measure of success is somewhat different to how I feel a lot of people get into podcasting. My measure of success was to actually see it have an impact on people's lives. So I think what was really important for me at the time was making sure there was some kind of feedback loop so I could understand how my podcast fitted into other people's lives and how the wisdom of the people that I was featuring was changing their lives in some shape or form. And I felt that if I could... I've realised this as well, actually... There's lots of different tools like personality tools and strengths finder tools out there in the coaching world. And one of them is called Motivational Maps. And one of my mentors took me through that process not so long ago. And actually, it taught me something I hadn't realized at the time, but I'm the sort of person that's highly motivated by direct feedback. So if somebody you know, tells me that this was really useful to them or 
it seems to motivate me in, in, in other ways that other, th- it motivates me in ways other things doesn't, if you right. see what I mean. So yes. I think that I, I, now I know that that's useful because I'm conscious of it, but at the time I wasn't aware of it. But I, I remember thinking, look, I, I need to get some feedback to know that this is helping. Yeah. The other driver for me, the other measure was I was coaching people already. So I'd been coaching for five years by that point and, um, or maybe six. It was a really useful resource. I felt it added to my credibility as a coach because I could, when I was coaching, I could say, well, actually, I've just spoken to, you know, the number one bestseller on Amazon on time management or something like that. Yeah, sure. And here's my conversation with them. So listen to that between our next two sessions, if we're coaching on time management, for example. Mm. And I felt as an introductory piece, that was quite a good piece of credibility. But at the same time, it added value to the coaching relationship that I had because we could then discuss that conversation together, if you sort of mean. So yeah, there sure. were a number of different drivers that, that motivated me to, to keep going with it. So do you feel that the podcast has achieved all of those goals? Oh, without question. Yeah. I mean, the nice thing is it's built 300 episodes now, yeah. a nice body of content, which I can use as reference material, my own, you know, my own reference material. Because the nice thing is, because I've asked the questions... I mean, don't get me wrong, there's hundreds of questions I wish I would, I'd asked as well yeah. when I listened back to some of those conversations. But because I asked the questions, I kind of managed to eke out some of the answers that I was looking for that I couldn't find elsewhere, which has proved useful, again, for my coaching and also just for sharing content and ideas with other people too. So on that, that front, it's definitely been supportive. But I think the fact that it's just opened so many doors as well for me, and it's also given me a unique skill set that I can sort of share with the world in terms of, you know, supporting coaches where I think, you know, anybody with any kind of sort of specific or useful skill set, like, yeah. a, you know, online or digital marketing, you could probably find an industry that is short on talent of people that understand that space. So if you understand both that, that field as well as that discipline yeah i think you can quite quickly create yourself a, a prime spot a nice niche there yeah exactly relatable as well to the people you're working with yeah no doubt about it i mean the thing is my my podcasting production skill set you could probably find a lot of people with that mm. but i know from what my clients tell me that they trust me because they are, i understand coaching as well right yeah and and so i, I will have a better grip one would think on what they're trying to achieve because there are certain things in the world of podcasting that would apply to a coach or would not apply to a coach that yeah. if you were doing a sports podcast or a news or a comedy podcast may or may not apply. Yeah, And I think also just, I've just come off a call actually with a the client and we were finalizing her episode copy for an episode. And I realized then I sort of had this moment of like, actually, I only know this because I know coaching in terms of the bullet points of what this episode is about and what words you should and shouldn't use yeah. to reach the right people. I, I thought, actually, yeah, that's not to be underestimated, our own experience in a particular field yeah, and how those nuances could, you know, make or break the difference between somebody clicking play on an episode or not. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that skill set a little bit more. Let's dive a little bit deeper into your act of being a content creator. Could you just run us through your process of creating a podcast and also touch on how it might have changed from those first 30 episodes to these last 30 episodes. Yeah, I don't think the overall workflow changed that much. The format has stayed regular. Where I've improved is, well, hiring you and working with you, Matt. Um, (laughs) So, you know, it's helped me sharpen my workflow in terms of actually I don't need to do that or I don't need to do it that way or I could use this tool to get there instead. Yeah, I would also argue that I feel that there's still more I can do to improve my workflow in the sense that there are some manual aspects which one could argue, do you or do you not need lengthy show notes? Right. For example, I spend a lot of time on my show notes and that's really paid off in the past because I've been able to find content quickly and I publish those sure. show notes. So I don't keep the timestamps to myself. I'm like, well, if they're useful to me, they might be useful to someone else. But you'd be surprised at how often in my own coaching sessions or after a coaching session, I should say, I, I then dive onto my podcast. I then go and find the guest, find the timestamp, send the clip to the to the client. Yeah. 
And I've been able to do that in a matter of minutes because I've done all of that investment. That good housekeeping, yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. And I, I admire people that do that. So, for example, one thing I haven't done, which I wish I'd done, hmm. is get every episode transcribed. Because if I'd done that episode by episode, it had been pretty straightforward, particularly now with tools like Descript. Yes. But... Um, but I didn't do that. And now if I wanted to get the whole 300 episodes transcribed, that's either a lot of time or money. So, you know, it's one of those things that I think there's something to be said about getting those things done at the time rather than leaving it until later. How much um, planning do you put in per episode at that pre-production stage? Yeah, so I think I've got this down and it hasn't, again, changed much. I think I got lucky early on. Actually, I think what I found is I got, I had so much to, you know, as you do when you start a podcast, there's a lot to do. And because you're spinning so many plates, I didn't really have as much time to research as I'd hoped for. Right. But then when I got into a groove and I found I was able to create more time for research, I realized that actually there's a danger of doing too much. Okay. Because the conversation started to change. And just like with today's conversation, Matt, I made sure I had some time to prepare for it, but not too much because I wanted it to be a real conversation rather than, you know, at least I've given some thought to the topic and content, but, you know, none of this is scripted and me reading stuff out. You know, I've got a few scribbles in front of me, but it was the same, it's the same with guests. So I'd research them enough to understand a sense of what they're about. But yeah. my curiosity was genuine when we went into a conversation. So I wasn't in there, you know, and you can hear it. I mean, I hear it when I listen to podcasts, when the host is just dying to get onto the next question rather than actually <laughs> listening to what yeah. the guest is saying and responding to that, you know. And then your production, uh, what kind of tools and what process do you use to produce your podcast? Yeah, so my production, I mean, the tools have evolved but the, the 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 tools have always been the same. So getting into some of the tech now, I, yeah. You know, actually, the first thing I did, and you know, practicing what I preach, and with a bit of an audio background, you know, got a good good sounding room, good mic, and got a computer that could handle it. That that, that they're all really important, and a wired internet connection, super important. Actually, it has changed. Uh, I'm thinking back now. Nobody has this setup. I, I had it because I also do music production too, but not so mm. much these days, but I do some. I was had a really interesting setup of where, in fact, all of my interviews at the time, this is 2014, bear in mind, okay. were being recorded on Skype. And then I had an interface which allowed me to loop back, which meant I could record their incoming channel on a separate track, which, as we know, is good for production. Yeah, it's great. Um, and I was using Logic at the time because for whatever reason, Pro Tools didn't pick up I wasn't able to pick up the incoming channel on the interface that I had at the time on Pro Tools. But I, so I'd record in Logic, mm -hmm. but that would that would be all I'd use Logic for. So it'd work on Logic, this loopback thing. And then I'd record in there. Then I'd just take the WAV files that came out of that. So one for me, one for the guest. And then I'd bring that straight into Pro Tools. And I'd edit in there. And then I'd bounce that out. And then... RX to clean it up, either in Pro Tools or outside of it. Mm -hmm. And then MP3 and off we go. And I think, I can't remember, I think, I, I'm not sure I did this in the early days. I used something like iTunes to actually create the MP3. I think, I, right. I, I can't remember. I, I think there were some limitations around my process, which obviously you can, you can, there was a switchover point where Pro Tools could export an MP3 and I was jumping with joy about that. <laughs> um, but I remember I had to use some, I can't, I can't remember what it was, but I knew you could do it in iTunes if, if all else failed. Yeah. Um, you know, you could convert the file in there. It's not necessarily, depending on who's listening to this, this isn't, in the, my workflow isn't necessarily the right flow workflow for anybody else. Um, it's one that works. But I think the, the, the key point is spend some time, get it working, test it out, refine before you actually get into the sort of meat and potatoes of properly recording. Yeah. Make sure everything works. Make sure you, it sounds how you want it to sound and then don't change it. Just leave it set yeah. up, stick to the workflow, You've got it sorted. Were you looking for a specific sound when you were setting up your podcast? Obviously, you're using Skype for your guests, so you always had that kind of, that grainy audio was always going to be there. What were you looking for when you were setting up your podcast production? Just, I, I wanted it to just sound clean and clear. Okay. Incredible. Yeah. You know, I just wanted it to sound like, 
I, I think there was a may, maybe again part of the one of the early obstacles for me was now having some qualification in audio production. I didn't feel I could get away with not doing a good job of my end of the audio, so I spent some time doing it. Curiously, my mic choice was I happened to be in a studio just wrapping up a session for somebody else and I, st- I set up a bunch of mic, or the mics were still set up probably more accurately, I can't remember. But I just remember just repeating the same phrase down five different mics and just taking a recording <laughs> and then blind testing with my wife. Just literally, I played each one back. She she had no idea which mic was which. And I record, you know, the, the, the files were one, two, three, four, and five. And then I, even I had to go look back which mic was which. So I played them all back to her and uh, the RE20 came out top. So I bought that one, decided to use that because that's one that sounded nicest to her. I think that's a great example though, getting people to test the kit. You can yeah. get all the, all the gurus, all the people in the Facebook group say, you need this, you need that. Really, you just got to try it it might work for you, it might not. Yeah, absolutely. And I think do your research because, yeah, I see that too, Matt. There's lots of people out there saying, you know, this is the best mic you can buy for a podcast. Mm. But actually, they don't know what environment that mic's going to be used in. So the first thing is, right, where are you? And secondly, what's the best type of mic to achieve, to your point there, the result that you're looking for? And I just wanted a good, clean, crisp, mm. good sounding audio was really... I, actually, in a, in a strange sort of way, we were partly blessed with Skype back in the day because it was always thin and tinny. So you couldn't really do much, <laughs> anything with it. So no. listeners expected every, every guest to sound like that. Yeah. Whereas today, you've got the breadth, but that also reveals all the problems. So, does, you know, yeah. I think I would argue it's a lot more challenging today to get your guest to sound good yeah. um, than, than it used to be. So you have to work at that. So dealing with those problems, how long do you typically spend post-production side of your podcast? Way more than I need to. And I think that's, <laughs> yeah, seriously, Matt. I feel like, But like, this is good though. People need to hear this because yeah. two, oh. people don't realise how long it takes or how quick it could be. And I think it's, it's good in the honest side of the creator is how, what do you do and why does it take that long? It's disproportionate. Really? It's yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's like I I I over edit, and I can hear it. I sometimes is it. I, I've edited to this day more or less all of my own stuff, and you've helped me out with a couple of bits. Mm. There's a number of reasons I do it, and it's not because I'm a perfectionist when it comes to the edit, editing side of it. It's as much to have the joy of actually listening to the conversation back and curating that conversation in okay. a way that I know is going to be good for my my listener because when you're recording your mind's on the job of recording you've got yes. to be listening and re- and thinking about next, the next question mm. and looking at the tech so I think your mind's in lots of different places when you're actually recording but then when you're editing you've got the luxury of time afterwards and I would say too much time so it's a lot of Parkinson's law and making sure that you allocate the right amount of time but as we both know, editing can take a long time. And I used to say to myself, if it's taking me more than an hour to edit 10 minutes of audio, it's way too much. Okay, it's a good, uh, good let- benchmark there, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So 30 minutes shouldn't take me more than three hours. And it rarely does. Mm. But if there is, there's something fundamentally wrong somewhere. And should I be working this hard at that? Beyond that, I'm basically like, it's not worth me and investing that amount of time in doing it. So hire somebody, even a junior, uh, you know, a reasonable rate. I mean, all of the people I work with, who most of whom are coaches, they ought to be coaching. They don't need to be spending hours and hours and hours editing. Yeah. And, and uh, chances are they haven't got the skill set. Like for someone like you, Matt, you've got lots of experience. So mm. you can you can solve problems really quickly. So even though your rate might be reasonable, it's like the, you actually there's there's a good return on that investment because you yeah. can work quickly versus paying someone less and them spending hours on it or worse still being a coach where you could command a, I don't know 100 pounds 200 pounds an hour coaching yeah i think it comes down to decision making i yeah. can make decisions quicker based on experience yeah, than exactly. anyone coming new into the podcast editing space yeah yeah exactly that so i think there's a uh, yeah, no, I'm a little, I'm a little bit perverse in the sense that I want to listen to my own material again, and I want to edit it the way I want to edit it. But 
I'm definitely at a point now where anything other than inspirational creatives, I'm quite happy to farm it off to another editor. And the joy I have mm. is that they do it their own way. And I'm always pleased with that result because it's, it's, it's not the way I would have done it. And I like the way that they've done it because it's just uh, it's somebody else's subjective approach to it. And I always yeah. enjoy those results. So I wouldn't recommend the approach of doing it yourself to anyone actually really and even my own recordings i really enjoy other people editing them because again they can hear they hear it in a different way that i hear it yeah well, i want to pick up on the term that you use there which is curating i think that's a common reason that people want to produce their own content is that ability to curate what does curating content mean to you it's a kind of a meta mindset for me because this is about not just editing all right. It's about pulling together lots of different ideas or lots of different thinking in a way that may create a new one, if if that makes sense. Yep. So it's sort of a, a meta level. So is there a way I can present this information so that someone listening to it may gain an insight or some new idea or information in a way that they may not have gained it otherwise? from some other source. Okay. So I think that's the ultimate aim for curation in my mind. Yeah. Is is, is that we live in a knowledge world and I think the the opportunities we're all creative and I think the opportunity that we all have is that we have our own unique perspectives which may not be valid or useful to some people but there's going to be a lot of people out there that are really going to appreciate it and they like the way that you see the world. There are mm. certain authors and podcasters I follow because I like the way they see the world and I'm always curious as to pick a topic you know property money time management whatever it may be I want to hear their version of that subject because yeah. I like the way they see the world so I think the responsibility of a curator is to kind of blend together information from a variety of different sources in a way that presents possibly the same information that exists freely out there in the world, but present it in a way that's new and interesting. Mm. It's interesting. It always circles back around to the people side of things, affecting people, helping people. How do you go about engaging with your audience? Where do you engage with your audience? And how often do you engage with your audience? Yeah, so less so these days, because I'm focused on supporting a lot of other people with their mm. own kind of media and life and business but in the thick of it you know so let's go back to sort of mid the inspirational creatives heyday was, was sort of from 150 episodes onwards so 2017 2018 and i think there was a bit of a blip in the world of uptake in terms of podcasts around that time as well and i know that's around we were going to you and i were going to events then and bumping yeah, that's right. into yeah, each yeah. other so there was a real momentum going on at that time and i definitely i felt I was pleased that I'd got started when I got started because I think to have started then, I might have missed that particular wave. But I think now's still just as good a time. I, I think the thing is with podcasting is the sooner you start, the better. Regardless, yeah. there, there seems to be multiple waves because I've been through a few now mm. and I'm experiencing it with other people. I think this stuff just goes in waves. But in the heyday, I had really great engagement. These days, a lot less. I was much more active on social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter. Mm. And it was great. The episodes were going out and then, then there was, you know, I'd post a link in Twitter, for example, and then there'd be a conversation right off the back of it. And then there'd be maybe awesome. some emails or maybe there, there was even a platform called Blab. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, but yeah, it was like yeah. a, it was like a, a bit like Zoom, I suppose, but it was more, it was somewhere in between Zoom and a, another webinar type platform. Yeah. And we used to jump on that sort of week to week just to discuss a topic. Really? That had been on the podcast. And it was great. They were, you know, I could see my listeners as real people in real time on video asking questions. And, you know, I was coming back to the curation point there, Matt, yeah. curating answers. Did you, did you, oh, I remember having this conversation with somebody in episode 20. You want to check that one out and where we talked about, you know, meeting the right people in that. So, there was this sort of lovely flow of back and forth with the audience. Two quick thoughts on that side of it, Matt, mm. that might be useful is 
One, I always think of podcasts as the the beginning of a conversation and it's based on that experience. So I I talk about that a lot these days, which is like a podcast is the beginning of a conversation. It's not one way broadcast only. If you do, if you set it up in the right way and you take the right mindset to a podcast, you can set it up in a way that you put an idea out there or a collection of ideas out there. And then it says, engage with me, come and talk to me about this. Let's have a conversation. Let's get, let's keep the conversation going about this thing we both care about. Mm. So that that's one of the great things that a podcast can offer you in a very powerful way. So there was that. And I learned that from that experience. Yeah. The other thing was I was doing something I didn't see other people doing, or if they were, there weren't many of them doing it, which was to interview listeners. So when I when okay. I had a bit more of rapport and I got a got got to a point where I'd got a lot of depth with a listener online, I'd be like, "Do you mind if we jump on a Skype call and I'll record it if you don't mind, just for my own research purposes?" And I would love to ask you some questions about how my podcast fits into your life, what you've gained from it, what your challenges are at the moment, and what's going on in your life, so I can understand which guests to bring in, mm. which problems to try and solve through my own network to help folks like you because chances are you're representative of maybe another 100 listeners out there. And that was a really meaningful and insightful process. Yeah. And it's one I've promised myself I'd do again, but I haven't done yet. And I interviewed a handful of listeners and that's all I needed. I was so surprised. Even three or four interviews in, I was like, wow, I had no idea that my podcast was having this amount of impact. And that these people felt that way about the content I was creating. Yeah. And I had those conversations transcribed and yeah, just it it informed everything. So I would recommend that to any podcaster. Try and get to that level of engagement. Care about your audience that much that you want to have a meaningful, insightful conversation with them because what you'll find is they will teach you what you need to know in terms of where to take it next, what your marketing should say, Maybe how if you're thinking about changing or creating the branding for your next podcast, it will mm. help inform all of that. So, et cetera, et cetera. That's incredibly powerful. So that, again, brings back full circle to your determinants for success at the start of this was you want to know that you've helped people and that you've changed people's lives for the better. And by the only way you could get that data, which was going to be one of my questions, is how do you know if you've helped people? You literally ask them bring them on the show, and that justifies everything you've done. Yeah, absolutely. Beyond that uh, sort of really meaningful engagement, did you try and grow your podcast in any other methods? No, it was pretty linear um, mm. in, in terms of I felt the there's so much you can't control. And what I could control was making sure I was getting great guests and consistently publishing content. So I just focused on the stuff that I could control and yeah. the numbers took care of themselves. So I didn't really go above and beyond. I didn't do any... I mean, I don't think Facebook ads was really a thing no. back then when I started out. I, it would be now if I if I wanted to go on a, a more strategic marketing campaign, mm-hmm. that sort of thing I might consider. Right. Um, one of the things that was effective was a newsletter. So you know, the newsletter was the glue that held the podcast together, I think, between audio. I mean, I was publishing twice weekly anyway. Right. And actually, just off the back of one of those interviews, one of the things I realized is that people couldn't keep up with the content. And that was the first time I took a break. So, you know... That's interesting. Yeah, exactly. So I I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't asked the question. Yeah. Um, Or asked a question that led to that answer, perhaps more, more importantly. So... That was useful. And yeah, the newsletter was great because you could remind people of earlier episodes, particularly if they are a new subscriber. Yeah, And it was also a great way just to share whatever was going on in my world. So maybe something happened to me that that morning where I gained an insight and I wanted to share that story. Yeah, But then I could link it back to a conversation I had in in a podcast interview. And I think that kind of kept you know, kept stirring up the older content to make sure people were getting across that. Because when you you get to a point where certainly when you're a few hundred episodes into a podcast, where you can't see the wood for the trees. So you, sure. again, your point about curation there becomes yeah. really important where actually, you know, your own content, except for the really avid listeners who seem to know more about your own content <laughs> than you do, which is kind of frightening, but awesome at yeah. the same time. But yeah, you get to a point where actually 
you can really help people because they might not know where to go to begin with. Yeah. So a little tip on that, that I didn't really fully exploit, but I saw other people do, which I thought was really cool, is to have almost like a, like an intro pack. So depending on what kind of listener you were or what problem you were trying to solve, you know, here are three starter episodes, you right. know, like 10, 15 and 21. Go and listen to those three if you're trying to learn how to create a successful business. You yeah, know, that might be a really good place to start. So I had a few kind of what I would call cornerstone content episodes where I thought the guest absolutely smashed it home in terms of the fundamental principles of any one concept. And I would keep those earmarked or bookmarked so that if somebody asked me a question around that, I would make sure that they'd listen to that episode. Yeah. Do you have any of those cornerstones that episodes that have made a significant impact on you directly? Oh, definitely. Every every interview had a significant impact on me. I would go so far. There was no, there, I can't think of a single interview that I did which I didn't learn something from that I was able to implement in my life. And in fact, the format of Inspirational Creatives was an interview on a Friday followed by a follow-up episode the following Wednesday, which was a short reflection piece on mm. my part, helping someone to understand one thing they could do differently in their life, quick and easy, off the back of that interview. You know, I'd pick out something that the, the guest had said and said, right, and then I'd narrate around it and just say, right, what I thought was interesting about that conversation was this thing. And here's a way I've implemented it. You could try this too and here are the steps that you can take to, to make that happen. And I really enjoyed making that. That helped me, that gave me some accountability. That helped me to apply what I was listening to and learning yeah. from my guests. But it also gave people a foot up in terms of they themselves making some kind of habitual change in their life that would hopefully improve it. Yeah. Producing all that content, though, did you have any content that, like an interview just went really badly or you just couldn't keep up with your own schedule? Did you have any car crashes in that process? I don't remember any specifically. I mean, I think there was um, unexpected audio problems with one or two. Mm. So we'd get on the call and I'd be like, um, you know, can we try this a different way? It was, like I say, it was, I think, I don't know if this is just golden sort of hindsight, but I think that I, I rose tinted, you know, I, I don't, I, I seem to remember it having fewer problems back there. And it, it was kind of a fixed entity. Audio over the internet was what it was. And that yeah. was that. And these days, I think there's so many variables now. It varies widely, but I don't remember any sort of particular car crashes. What I do remember is I remember one or two interviews, and this might have been down more down to my own energy of the day and where, whatever I was going through in life, perhaps. Mm. But I remember one or two interviews sitting there thinking, I'm not sure if this is going anywhere or I'm not sure if this is, this is any good. Right. But often when I'd listen back to it, going back through the editing process, I'd then go, actually, no, this is great. There's, there's lots of gold in here. I was just in a different place when I was hosting. So I think there was certainly a few times where I was unsure about the content, mm. but on playback, actually, it was really good. I mean, yeah, having done all my own editing, there were, you know, some great guests. And then there were others where it was quite an involving task to to get it to sound tight and punchy. Yeah. Did you ever have an interview that you just didn't publish? I don't think so, Matt. I, I think I got lucky and didn't have that. Um, 300 I, episodes as well. I mean, that's, yeah. that's impressive. This is a, this is a good yeah. example. Yeah, I, I think I've still got a couple I haven't yet published, okay. but that's not because I'm not going to publish them. It's just because I'm now rethinking the format of the podcast going forward. Okay. Um, but yeah, I don't remember any that I recorded and thought I can't. I can't publish this. Mm. I, I, I was lucky, but I think that you know that that may I say I say lucky though, Matt. But I, I did do my research. You know, I, yes. if 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 the guests had been on a previous podcast, I'd make a point of at least listening to some of a previous podcast to get a sense of their style and their flow and what they had to say. Yeah. Um, so great advice. Yeah, and I, again, I was it was my, it wasn't just a podcast for a podcast's sake this was like i want to change people's lives here for yeah. the better i want to make an impact and this is my time that's going into this and yeah i don't want to get a, a reverse return on that investment by putting something rubbish out there where you know it's not good for anybody i didn't learn anything no you know people will lose interest and i wasted the guests time too so what's yeah. the point of that so i think you have to be a little bit strategic about this stuff 
And you found that, I mean, you, you were doing the newsletter, you were publishing two episodes a week, you had blab conversations going on, you were talking to listeners, you had Twitter conversations. That's a significant investment of time every week. And you felt yeah. that it was justified because you knew you were making a difference. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there were things I didn't know then that I know now. So I, I, if you added that time up, I would say it was probably about two and a half days a week. Wow. Um, time. Okay. So quite a lot of time if you think about it. But what I didn't know then that I know now is I would have taken a break. So I would have taken a seasonal approach to my podcast series. I didn't. It wasn't a concept that I even knew about until you and I were at an event with, I think it was Colin Gray talking about it at New Media Europe. And I was yeah. like, whoa. That's that's a game changer. Talk, doing stuff in seasons like they do on TV. Yeah. So that that made complete sense. But I was, you know, a few hundred episodes in by that point. <laughs> so I think that was, uh, you know, kind of that set ship myself had sailed, up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm exactly. And I remember being very late up on a Thursday night with it going out eight o'clock Friday morning, still in WordPress, just getting the final show notes in there and getting things yeah. tired, you know. And um, no regrets though. I mean, no. that's the, that. it's changed my life having had that podcast series um, for the better. Mm. And I learned so much. I think that's the thing that can get overlooked. You go through substantial personal growth. You learn so much about yourself. You become a better speaker, I hope. You become more expert in your own topic. But you learn so much about the world, as you would with any endeavor, but a podcast is no exception. I think you can learn more about structuring your time, being more strategic, you know, relationships. Mm. So, you know, everything from marketing and how do I position this to in, invite somebody to become part of it. It really had to test that stuff out and get better at it. So I think there was lots of multiple growth curves going on at the time of putting this together. So there's a tremendous amount of return and value on it when you look on it from that point of view. And um, yeah, it was a lot of work, but I think now it's it's about just sort of evenly distributing the load and the work and going, right, actually, you don't need to do as much as I did to achieve the same result. I went in full force and I probably went in somewhat naively, not knowing what I was getting into, but just yeah. kept going. Trial by fire. Yeah, exactly. So I look back now and go, well, actually, you can do a tenth of that and still get similar results, yeah. most likely. So, oh, Rob, this has been amazing hearing your, your experience and your journey of podcast production. I just want to wrap up with a couple more questions if that's all right. Of course. So we've kind of touched on this, but I'd love to know if there's anyone or anything that held you accountable for your content. I think it was a miraculous thing for me that once I clicked publish, I just felt, you know, I had to keep going. So I, I held myself personally accountable. Mm. Thankfully, and I can't remember where I learned this from, but I knew, and still to this day, the number one rule for podcasting is consistency mm -hmm. and consistency being king. Um, I've also learned you can be inconsistently consistent or consistently <laughs> inconsistent, if you want to put it that way. So I think there are ways you can do it, but it's, be, it's it, it, when, you, when you commit to doing it, it's about being consistent to the right thing. It was great. I mean, I've always been coached at some time or another um, in some shape or form yeah. or mentored. I certainly learned the value of asking for help creating a podcast. So don't do it alone. Mm. And actually it's a lot more fun when you get other people involved. Yeah. Uh, so that was that, that. And again, I think that gave me some accountability too, because I think that when you've got other people involved, you don't want to be sort of half asked about it in terms of I'm doing this thing and then you don't do that thing because they won't take you seriously and they'll disappear pretty quickly. Yeah. And if you want to keep working with them and collaborating with them, to some degree, you want to kind of like impress them, I suppose. And you, you know, I don't think there's a base value, isn't there? Yeah. And actually, yeah. I think just as I think about this, Matt, and explore it with you, one of the things that really kept me accountable was these expert guests that I selected from the very first episode. I always had them in mind when I was putting this stuff together, and it was all about them. And I felt my podcast was an opportunity for me to share their wisdom with the world in whatever shape or form that I could do that. Mm. And I didn't want to let them down. So if they were kept, if they were kind enough to give me an hour of their time for me to ask them lots of questions, which bear in mind, some of these people would cost you several hundred dollars for an hour of their time as a consultant. Yeah. If they were kind enough to offer that time for free and to then allow me to share that with, you know, potentially thousands, if not tens of thousands of people yeah. for free, then the least I could do was deliver on my promise. So I think that helped me. But I realized that 
people are motivated in lots of different ways. And I think maybe, you know, looping back to what we were saying earlier, maybe I didn't realize this at the time and perhaps just learned this just now, is that some of my early motivation is just sheer curiosity. It's like, if I put this conversation out into the world, what will people say about it? You know, what will they say? You know, how's this going to impact them and what can I learn from that? Mm. Yeah, that responsibility piece met with that kind of obligation to share as well. That's awesome. So my next question, what small change have you made that's made the biggest impact to your content creation? I think the one small thing that I've done that's made the biggest difference is to get out of my own way. Mm. Just put my own ideas aside. And I think the moment you can truly do that, and it takes a bit of practice because you re- you think you've put your ideas aside and you realize there are other ideas in your way and then other ideas in your way. <laughs> so you have to, kind of, there's multiple layers. But I think if you can kind of practice that on a regular basis, so you make sure that you're getting out of your own way, that absolutely, I, I, I would almost pin it down to that, Matt. If I, whatever I can do to get out of my own way, you know, I recognize there are parts of this process where I'm vitally important but they're few and far between. It's not all the way through it. I shouldn't be the running thread through it. And and I think that's sometimes how we always feel. We've got to do everything and we've got to micromanage. But actually, if I just focus on the bits that only I can do that nobody else could do, and that might be the curation piece, for example, Mm. or asking the questions, because pretty much everything else could be done by somebody else, then all of a sudden the game changes. You've got leverage in terms of time, capacity, ability, and you've also got the joy of having others work with you and then those people themselves playing to their strengths. Yeah. So my next question was going to be, what advice would you give a new content creator? But I imagine it might be the same answer, right? Hire superstars. Hire superstars. Brilliant. And uh, what three values would you like to be known for as a content creator? As a content creator? Yeah. People listen to inspirational creatives, Rob Lawrence, the content creator, the podcaster, what three values would you like to be known for? I would go for, and these are going to be different to my sort of business values and my personal values, but as a content creator, I would go with professional, generous, and innovative. Nice. Very nice. And my final question is, what do you think makes a good leader? Oh, yeah. Okay. So... Perhaps goes without saying, but I think that all leaders are visionary. I think leaders sometimes forget that they're role models. So there's a degree of responsibility that comes with that in my mind. Creating a podcast, I didn't realize this at the time, but I quickly learned comes with responsibility. The moment you put your name out there and some content out there, people start regarding you as an expert. And whilst it might give you credibility, it also comes with responsibility because you've got to be careful about how you curate and what you're saying and you've got to be able to stand behind what it is that you you put out there. So I think that the role model piece is, is well worth keeping in mind. Mm. And and so you have to kind of check in on yourself and use trusted sources to also help you keep you in check in terms of am I setting the right example here for, for what I believe in? I think they listen. So coming back to what we were saying about you know, the audience. And I don't see many podcasters do that. And I think that's they're, they're missing a trick there. I think the more you can like reach out, I think the, the set and forget of just publishing content and then not following up on any engagement is a, is a massively missed opportunity because mm. as I said earlier, podcast is a, a beginning of a conversation. But I would say that, um, yeah, listening and Making decisions, mm. I think that's a really important part of, of being a good leader. And maybe the final thing is that I think that leaders have to have courage. Often good leaders, in my eyes, are the people that go first. So you kind of have to be brave and have a go and just stick to what you believe in. If you feel there's a gap in the world, have the courage to go and say, right, I'm going to do something about that. Or if there's an injustice or a change in the world that you want to see, go, right, you know, I'm going to make this move mm. and I'm going to take this chance and, and and try and try and make this world a better place. Amazing. Well, Rob, that has been awesome. And I think that answer at the end, again, circles back to sort of your story at the beginning of how you became a content creator, listening on those headphones, taking uh, senior roles, helping people develop, 
looking at opportunities, taking stock of personal kind of how I'm introspectively, how am I acting? How can I help others? And then ultimately producing a fantastic 300 episode podcast to date to help people make change and improve. Uh, You, sir, are a podcasting leader in my eyes. And I thank you very much for your time today. You're welcome. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for the invitation. Cheers, Rob. And that is the end. Thank you for listening to the Cult Creator Experience. I hope this has been helpful. If you have any questions, topics, or feedback you would like to give me, hit me up on Instagram at cult.media, K-U-L-T dot media. And if you need help launching your podcast, growing your podcast, or just starting your content creation journey, let me know. I'd love to give you a hand or answer any questions you might have. Head over to cult.media to book yourself a free call. We can have a little powwow about podcasting and content. And until next time, be good.